problems finding information about goodness. You guys know I use these things called commentaries. They're like sermon cheat guides. Uh, basically, other smarter people than me um, wrote down what they thought the Bible meant, and you read enough of them, uh, you can see the common strand going through, but very few people write, if at all, about goodness. They write about kindness, they write about faithfulness and gentleness and love, of course. People have a lot to say about love. But they almost, they almost always just said, yeah, goodness, that's, 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 that's like kindness. And then they move on. But Phil said that I had to preach on each of the fruits of the Spirit, and I'm trying to learn to take other people's advice. So I had to ask the question, was Paul just being redundant? Am I just going to preach the same sermon again because Paul was just wasting words? And, um, and so I'll get to this in a moment. This is your Greek 101, then I'll skip over it. Um, I had to ask that question, you know, does, does Paul do that? Does he, does he just write, because his letters are long, uh, especially Romans, but does he, you know, does he just write frivolously? Or does he think that every word that, he, that he's saying matters? Well, I think that there's, a, there's kind of a balance there. A lot of churches would say, every, Paul, Paul very meticulously picked every word that he wrote. I don't know that that's necessarily true, but I think that for sure, when Paul is making a list of things, he probably wouldn't write the same thing twice. A good example of this is just that uh, paper was incredible, papyrus, it's incredibly expensive. I mean, that might not seem like much of a reason not to write something, but but papyrus is incredibly expensive. And he was dictating this, so the ink was expensive, the postage was expensive, the weight of the parchment, he had to carry it, or somebody else had to carry it. He, they, didn't, they didn't just write willy-nilly. And when they screwed up, they like accidentally said something wrong, usually they, they don't like throw it away because paper's expensive. Let me give you a good example of this. Uh, 1 Corinthians, this is, I love this. When people are like, the Bible's inerrant, I'm like, yeah, but Paul didn't think so. Um, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius so that none of you can say that I were baptized in my name. And then I imagine his, the guy who he's dictating to goes, Hey, Paul, uh, you remember when you were in Corinth and you also baptized the house of the Stephan? And Paul's like, okay, okay. Uh, I did also baptize the house of uh, Stephani, or Stephanus. But beyond that, uh, <laughs> I don't know whether I baptize anyone else. He's like, actually, I'm second-guessing this. My memory's not that good. But it would have been really easy if he had had Microsoft Word to delete, I thank God, that I had not baptized, that I baptized none of you except for uh, Crispus and Gaius. But he, he didn't. Paper was expensive. Y'all remember the typewriters? That, that delete key where you like, did the Y down, it didn't look very good. It didn't look very good. If you were a real stickler, you'd retype the whole thing, the whole page. You wouldn't, you wouldn't just backspace. That didn't exist. That's why older people, they watch me type and I backspace like every third word I, I delete. They're like, this is so painful to watch. Could never do this on a typewriter. But it was even worse when you had papyrus. So, so, so I'm like, okay, no, so no. That, I'm gonna go with no. He didn't accidentally repeat a word. They would have crossed it out or something. So, 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 then, so then we have to ask the question. Christotes and Agathosune. I'm not going to make you repeat those. They're tough ones. 
You see the Greek writing there, and then I kind of wrote it in English, kind of. And then the English translation, kindness and goodness. What, what's, what's the difference? What's the difference? Well, I'm going to use the definition that I used of kindness last week. If you weren't here last week, this is the definition that I used. I didn't put it up on the screen, so now you, if, I'm, if I'm putting up, you can take a picture if you want. Um, but it's just my definition of kindness, biblical kindness. Viewing people, so it's about viewing people. Viewing people with humility and grace. Claiming them as inherently valuable because they are human. Okay, not because of who, what they've done, but just because they're human and therefore connected to every other human and to God. You don't have to come up with the reasons that your children are valuable. You know they are connected to you. They came from you or you claimed them as your own. And in that claiming them as your own, you, you impart your value, of, of, or your, your, your value to them. You say they're valuable just because they are. But what we fail to realize is that every human is connected to us. We're all connected as part of the human race. We're all given the image of God. We're all coming from one shared essence, which is God. And so you'd never look at your own child or your brother or your sister and say they're not valuable. They don't don't have value. But, but it's so easy for us to do that for others. So that's what kindness is. It's viewing people as if everyone is your own. And so what's goodness? Goodness is actually the actions. Because remember last week I said kindness isn't really about actions. It's not about doing nice things. Kindness is about the, the perspective, the orientation, the heart position toward others. Well, then goodness is the actions that naturally flow from kindness which is, again, viewing people with humility and grace, claiming them as inherently valuable because they are human and therefore connected to every other human and to God. So, so if you take nothing away, you listen to last week's sermon online, and you go, okay, so if all of this, if I can get myself, if I can get the fruit of the Spirit, if I pray for the eyes to see humans as inherently valuable, the eyes to see humans as one of my own, connected to me, intrinsically, that their fate and my fate are tied. When you start to see people that way, there is a natural action response. But I think this is something that my generation actually exemplifies better than other generations because we disconnect kindness and goodness. There's a lot of people in my... See, like, many of you are, come from a generation where the ne- you, you, this is c- clear to you, obviously. If you view someone that way, you're going to act towards them that way. My generation is really, really good about viewing people one way and then acting completely differently or, or failing to act. Let me just go to goodness. Goodness is kindness and action. See, the world today is, is orchestrated to appeal to, to, to us, to the people in my age range. That's just how it goes. Every, you know, 20 or 30 years, it changes. All the media is targeted at us. All the songs, the new songs that are coming out are targeted at us. And we're, 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 while we've become very gifted at seeing the inherent value of people, people are very, like, quick to march in a parade about something. We often just sit with the hurt and then do nothing about it. I love baby boomers and the way that you guys call us out on this. You do, because you'll be like, all right, 
You care about homelessness? What have you done for a homeless person? You ever been in that conversation with a millennial? It's really fun. Because then they're like, well, you know, it's not really about what I, no, it is about what you do. That's why when Jay, in the book of James, I don't have the slide for it, but in the book of James it says that faith without works is, come on, you can do better than that. Faith without works is, right, it's about faith, but you all got it. You all understand it. You were like, hey, if I feel a certain way towards somebody, I'm going to do that. That's how you, you're going to commit to it. That is, we need to learn that from our elders. We do. Because we don't get that. It's sad. So, so if goodness is a natural outpouring of kindness, what I realized in this is that actually I kind of trace the fruits of the Spirit back. Wow. They all kind of naturally, they're like Russian dolls. They kind of pop out of each other. You know? It's this beautiful thing. The natural actions of doing something. See, I think that this is the thing. A lot of people skip to goodness in Christianity. And then they misinterpret James and they think that it's somehow about earning salvation or being a good person. All right, Christianity. What's Christianity about? Being a good person. No, it's not. That's not the point. That's just a byproduct. You ought to be a good person if you do it right. <laughs> but it's like, that's not the point. The point is to be like having the fruit, to have the Holy Spirit, and then, then these things kind of pop out. So, so I kind of came up with this. Okay, so people love, right? That We said that was the first one. People begin with love. And, 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 and as soon as their foundation is love, which is selflessness, right? Outside of themselves then they, need, they don't need to satisfy their ego anymore. That's why we talk about love joy is the second one. They don't need to satisfy their ego. And that's what I remember I was sitting up here and I was like, you know, you don't need to be on these extremes anymore. You can be content in the middle. And then I said peace. Well, peace is kind of the, the outpouring of once you can be contented with your physical life, then you can start being contented with your spiritual, emotional life. You can have peace. You can start to enjoy the moments as they come. And patience, as soon, as soon as you're contented, and as soon as you don't need an ego to satisfy, you can actually start to have conversations with people patiently. Remember, that's what we talked about. We said, hey, patience is just standing and going, hey, I'm not going to judge you and not listen to you. That actually the opposite of patience is not impatience, it's pride. That our time is more valuable than listening to somebody else. And then after patience, once you start to hear other people and you're outside of yourself and you're not satisfying your ego and you're contented with your circumstances and you're enjoying the moment, then you can start seeing them as intrinsically connected to you. Not as that person. Remember I said last week, I ended up saying, Jesus to Jesus, there was never those people. There was always just us. To Jesus, there was never the person on the other side of the aisle. Or the person who didn't worship like me. The only times Jesus comes in contact with those schools of thought, he mocks them. Like the Pharisees come to him and they go, why are you hanging out with these people? He goes, only the sick need a doctor. And they're like, oh, that's why he doesn't hang out with us. And he's like, no, it's because you don't know you're sick. Right? Or the, the, the Canaanite woman comes to him and he's like, why would I feed scraps to, uh, to the dogs when the children haven't eaten? And all the disciples are like, yep. And then he's like, no, that's not the point. I was, I was mocking you. Here, your daughter's healed. 
See, Jesus, there's no those people. So, so what's the natural outpouring of kindness? It's our actions. It's goodness. It's about serving. But here's the thing. When we skip the rest, when we make it about being a good person, like I said, we like to do that. We like to jump to the goodness to be, you know what we become? We don't, we're not servants. We're saviors. That's the difference right there. That's what I'm going to get to in one moment. The only difference between a servant and a savior is that a servant doesn't care who gets the credit. Hear that again. The only difference between a servant and a savior, servant doesn't care who gets the credit. And so servanthood is probably the number one word that I would, that I would link to. So, and when I said kindness, it's how you view people. And patience is the opposite of pride. If I'm going to give one, goodness is just being a servant. We had a small group that talked all about servant leadership. Ask one of them, what did you learn in your book? What was it about? It was a great book. I read it myself. About servant leadership. That, that our culture is all about pride and being a savior, not being a servant. This is why I like Batman more than Superman. That's blasphemy to say in a church. Superman is the American hero. But I don't like Superman very much. Now, you could do the thing, see, if you're at a youth group conference, you could be like, Superman is the only hero who's a hero when he takes his costume off. And then now it's a great sermon. You go, so maybe I'll preach that at some point if I run out of things to talk about. But for today, I like Batman more than Superman for the purpose of the sermon. And, and the reason is this. What happens when Superman saves a city? What does the city do? Anybody remember? Any of the Superman comics or any of the Superman movies? They always build him a statue. Say it loud, Matt. They always build him a statue. Superman must have like 30 statues. They're just always pulling off covers like Superman. And he's huge up there, you know, looking at his little curl. He's looking up there, you know. He's got a big S on his chest. He's super. He's a hero. He's a savior. But Batman is a servant. Batman is, is, uh, is, is they use the V word. It's a bad word in hero world to describe Batman, vigilante. He's a vigilante from justice. He doesn't have any rules except for one. Batman never gets the credit. Batman just gets like a light that they shine in the sky like, we need your help. And nobody knows what it is. It's like, is that a bird? What is that thing? He gets no statues. Whenever somebody needs to take the fall, always Batman. Think Superman ever took the fall? No. Superman just threw the nuclear weapons into the sun. Like, he didn't take the fall. He just turned back time. Okay, Superman is way, way about Superman. Because he's always the savior. He always gets the credit. Batman, he never gets the credit. And I know, you could say, well, Batman has like a billion dollars, and Batman could probably fix the socioeconomic injustices at the core of the problems why Gotham has so much crime. And I would say, yeah, that's probably true. But he spends way too much money on his Batmobile. If he invested that into education, maybe we wouldn't have all these criminals. But anyway, but, but the point is, 
Batman doesn't get the credit. He does it because he's a servant. And then he always goes to bed at the end of the night. Like Clark is always rolling up. You know, he doesn't even need to sleep because he's from Krypton. So he's always like there early in the morning with his glasses and donuts like to take some pictures or write some article or something. That's what he's doing. Batman's always like waking up at noon and Alfred's like opening the curtain. He's just covered in bruises. And he's just like, and he's just like, sir, you have to go to the board meeting now. And Batman's like, oh, shoot, I'm going to go. Like, that's Batman. No credit. All the pain, all the suffering. Superman can get shot at. Batman has to wear bulletproof vests. Superman is the, is, the, is the savior. And I think that most people would much rather be Superman than Batman. Even though the Superman movies aren't as good as the Batman movies, so maybe kids want to be Batman these days, they don't really want all that drama. They don't want to know that they're going to maybe lose when they go to the fight. They don't want to get beat up for the sake of somebody else. They want all the Savior and the statue and none of the service. And so if we're talking about goodness, that's what I'm going to wrap up because we're getting to that time. <laughs> if we're talking about goodness, i got a question. That goodness that comes from kindness, how you see people, who are you going to be? going to be the person who skips over all the other fruits of the spirit because you don't care how you see people you just want to save them you just want to swoop down into the community that you think is at risk and provide them with the solutions that they need you want to stop listening to people who are saying hey this is what the problem with our community no you just say you know what no i'm just going to swoop in here like superman and save you no that's not how goodness works goodness looks like valuing the person who needs help more than feeling good about helping them and getting the credit. And so I have several opportunities for you to do that. We want to be a church. You want to you reach, you want to give people something that they're not getting out of church. People love going to church to feel good. That's why big churches just popping up. Pastors who make people feel good. Just explode. 20 to 200 in a month. Pastor makes you feel good. But if you want to be a servant, or a servant church that changes lives, you might not be popular, you may not grow really fast, but you will actually get to the core of who people are so that they're not just going to show up until they, don't, until they get their fill of feeling good and then they leave. They'll keep coming back because what you get, like in the, in the show, what you get is results. That guy wasn't, he says he's not going to be on TV, he's not going to get famous, but he gets to see that little girl in the school uniform, and I'm not even that guy, and I cried. He gets to see that the dog follows him. He gets to see that the plant grows. He gets to see that this old bitter woman who's like, where were you? She's like, now she's like, oh, welcome, right? He changed their lives. And so we could be a church. If we really dug into this, if we really did this, we would be a church, maybe not that would change the world, but that could change someone's world. So you want your options? Bed starts next week. They booked out the schedule. We got enough volunteers, but Chris, somebody, is doing like 30% of the shifts. He's just a nice guy. 
doesn't go to our church, isn't involved, I'd love to see us take some of those shifts so that Chris could sleep. Love, Inc. seems like we're always expanding. There's always more need for Love, Inc. There's plenty of opportunities. We even talked about this week. Hey, how can we do this furniture thing? How can we do that for other people? Come to me. Say, hey, I, I want to do that. I want to deliver furniture to somebody and, and be nameless. Have them never even ask my name, and I just get to see the look on their face when I fill their new place with furniture. All God's people, I have a blank space here because the bandwidth for all God's people is going to get real tight when we start doing beds every week and we're doing more loving stuff. I would love somebody to show up and just say, I want to organize that every month. I want to do that. Even if I'm the only one who shows up, I want to do that. We got two to four more things like that just waiting for people to step up and go, I want to be a church that's committed to goodness. Because there are not many that are. So here's the thing about goodness. You can come up, Chris. It's not going to change the world on its own. But it can certainly change someone's world. So be the person who changes some's to be the person who changes someone's world. Not because you care or you want the credit, but just because you want to be a servant. Because the people you're serving are worth it. Amen.